0: This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here. I've been looking forward to having this man on for a long time. Uh, He has lived his life in tennis he's lived his life in in the in junior tennis the perils that go along with that and collegiate tennis had a great career at UCLA and the really the the, the way I got uh, really back in touch with you is Barry Buss by the way who joins me was was reading your memoir that you wrote Barry About 10 years ago, it's called First in a Field of Two, a Junior Tennis Memoir. Uh, First of all, welcome to the program. You've been a great supporter of me over the years, and uh, I've I've also read a lot of your articles that you've written about just pro tennis and tennis in general. Tell me, first of all, um, how you as a young kid got started in tennis, if you don't mind.
1: Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I think, like every uh, junior tennis player, there's a parent involved. Um, <clears throat> it's very hard to get to the game of tennis when you're, you know, not even, you know, 10 years old, unless you've got a folk that's or two parents that are very interested in playing. So I had a dad who, uh, who absolutely caught the passion for tennis as a teenager. He never was able to really play for himself, and uh, you know, he was an all-around sports guy, and he just had a, you know, a vision in his mind that if you ever had an athletic child. Tennis was going to be our sport. So we were growing up in the suburbs of Boston, and uh, this one unmemorable moment, he took me out, and it was the first time, and the second time, and now it's a lifetime.
0: And would you, would you, you were, I mean, for for a high level junior and collegiate player, you were relatively old when you started. You were, I think, nine or ten, right, when you first started hitting balls. Nine or ten, yeah,
1: yeah. And you know, we were, were, you know, it was in New England. There wasn't a whole lot of tennis going Mm -hmm. on there. You know, we were. Kind of children of the tennis boom. I mean, it was all starting to happen at that time in the seventies and you know, everyone was very excited about tennis and clubs were popping up and stuff. And, you know, nobody really knew what they were doing. You know, there weren't a whole lot of coaches or academies or any of that stuff yet. But, uh, my dad just loved to play and you know, he would take me to school in the morning or take me to the courts at, you know, at five in the morning before mm-hmm. school. And he had a way of doing this. It would just be me and him and a can of balls. And, and, uh, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing and he wasn't a coach. And, <laughs> and we just, we committed, we committed to doing this for a couple years. And, uh, you know, it wasn't always easy. He didn't have the best bedside manner. And, uh, you know, a lot of tears and a lot of, a lot of angst, but, uh, in the middle of it, a lot of balls got hit.
0: Now I know I know I know your your dad had a background as sort of an engineer, um, yeah. And 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 initially when you were younger, as I was reading uh, about you know your book and how that came to be, that you he actually tried to get you. You were very good at math as a as a little kid, yeah. and then you were into chess before that tennis, is correct? Yeah, and then <laughs> and then those things didn't quite pan out, uh, and then tennis sort of stuck. And when you, get, when you made the decision, or your family made the decision, was that strictly about tennis to move to s- Southern California?
1: Pretty close to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think by the time I was around 12, we had a, I, I was pretty much the best adult in my area. So we actually moved to another neighborhood, built a court at our house, and it just didn't quite work out. You know, there just wasn't going to be enough there. My father was kind of – he saw the writing on the wall that if, mm-hmm. we were, if they were going to do anything with my play, it was going to be in California. My parents had roots in California originally, so we uh, packed up the van and moved back out there in the summer of 1978. And uh, we landed in Torrance, California, which is mm-hmm. kind of the South Bay, Palos Verdes area, which happened to be, you know, ground zero for basically American tennis for the next decade or so with, you know, Pete Sampras and Tracy and Robert Landsdorf and all that. And I just landed right in the middle of that spot. Um, and uh, so what, what, what little tennis there was in New England, there was no shortage. you know, two great matches a day in, in California. So, um, you know, it just made it possible for me to get good that way.
0: Now, I'm guessing that you, Barry Buss, as a youngster in, the, in New England, you know, you got to the top of the, of the 12 and unders pretty quickly. But right. my guess is yeah. that once you got to Southern Cal, yeah. it was a different story because as you said and it, as I know, there's a, just tons of really good players.
1: It was very humbling. Yeah, my, my number two ranking in New England didn't really uh, scare a lot of people when I came out of the yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but uh, no, I was just, you know, our, our age group was loaded like most of the age groups were back then. And, you know, I took my lumps the first few years and, you know, I wasn't a big kid. I was using a wood racket. I didn't really, you know, have anything going on. And then, I, you know, I had a little habit going on the side too. And, um, just was a long, you know, it was a long, arduous journey, kind of knocking on the door for a little bit. And then, uh, and finally, you know, I grew, and I, you know, the shots that were going in started going in a little better, and, uh, you know, before I knew it, all of a sudden I was successful in, uh, you know, in a very unlikely kind of way.
0: You mentioned your habit on the side. May I ask you what that was?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I had a pretty tumultuous relationship with my old man. And, right. You know, it was very, had a lot of, you know, there was quite a bit of abusive stuff going on there, and he, he was living vicariously through me, and, and uh, you know, when I didn't do well, he didn't, you know, he took that upon himself, and... So we struggled in that space, mm-hmm. and uh, so once I found, you know, alcohol and marijuana as a 14, 15-year-old kid, that created a lot of, uh, you know, it was, I was just self-medicating quite a bit through mm-hmm. those years, and uh, so it wasn't, uh, it was more just for survival, just trying to deal with the angst of being a teenager and in a troubled, uh, kind of abusive father-son relationship, but I was able to somehow still play a lot of tennis while it was going on, So, but, uh, you know, I developed teenage alcoholism at 15 and, Mm uh, you know, I just tried to make the most of, you know, the years I had there before, you know, the bottom fell out, which wasn't, you know, was around 19 or so.
0: And so when you're growing up and playing in, in junior tennis, uh, you move up through the ranks fairly quickly in Southern Cal, which is, as we've talked about, is was a hotbed. And when did you start competing sort of regularly in the national tournaments?
1: So I was kind of knocking on the door. You know, I, I think i in the 16th, I was ranked around 40 in the country. So I, you know, I'd had some results there, but it wasn't until uh, li- really the end of my 18s where I pretty much was, you know, considered a just a damaged goods. I mean, none of the colleges were even looking at me. Mm-hmm. And when they were looking at me, it was usually they were recruiting the guys I was playing against. And uh, but just at the last second, I just kind of was able to settle down at the last couple of tournaments and and got hot right at the right time, right in front of a lot of the coaches and, uh, I end up winning a couple of major tournaments out in California, got invited to the junior Davis cup trials, went undefeated through that. And next thing I know, I'm wearing the USA on my back and <laughs> at 17 and, you know, out of, you know, out of nowhere, you know, it really happened in a couple months. And, uh, you know, then it got a little complicated after that. But um,
0: when you say you were when you when you say you were damaged goods, did you are you referring to your your drinking and your smoking? Yeah, was, that people was knew about drinking,
1: that. Yeah, the drinking, the behavior. You know, I was just freaking out on the court. I got suspended from the Southern California Tennis Association. Mm-hmm. I had a terribly terribly public meltdown at a tournament in front of Glenn Bassett and Dick Leach and Dick Gould and all the, college the great coaches. legendary
0: uh, college coaches. Yeah, USC, yeah, UCLA, they and all Stanford. Was, yeah. They, they
1: all looked at me and said, "No, this guy will never set foot at UCLA or any of these schools." And then finally, I had a good result up at the Ohio tournament, and, and Bassett was watching me, and he, and he came over to me after, and he goes, "You know, who? Would, you know, if you were to come to UCLA, who would I be getting? Would I be getting the kid I saw at Long Beach a couple of months ago, or mm-hmm. would I be getting the kid I just saw right now who played some serious tennis right now?" And I, was right. like, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know how to answer that one.
0: Uh-huh. Now, but, uh huh. Um, now. So, so, so when, you, when you made the decision to go to, to well, first, before I get into college, because I still want to ask you more about, you know, the, the, the challenge that you had um, with your dad. And I know you had two brothers as well who weren't athletic and not into tennis. But was, it, was, was the sport something you did just because it was sort of your, it, you had no other choice? It was your dad pushing you or was there anything? Did you like it because no. you knew you were pretty good at it or a combination?
1: It was a lot of things, yeah it was um, it was it was one of the weird little it was one of the places that I could get some some peace of mind, some mm-hmm. validation um, you know I, I had a, just a lot of uh, a lot of messaging that I was for some reason I was flawed or i wasn't a good person or a good kid for my dad it was just it was a terribly kind of a kind of psychological um, messaging that somehow I wasn't okay but then I could go on a tennis court and override that and, and play
0: well and right if you win the uh, if you win uh, the match and your ranking moves up yeah you're, you're right, you know, right. A, couple, a couple of winners
1: and all of a sudden I you know I believed in myself mm-hmm. again. so I end up spending an awful lot of time on that court and, mm-hmm. and you know as you well know tennis can be pretty unforgiving it's not always uh, a soothing experience and um, you know one of the things I did kind of learn at that, that time you know when I was so unhealthy at that time tennis wasn't it wasn't a good place to get healthy. You know, I think the, the extended grind of the stress and, 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 um, and just trying to find some peace out there when it wasn't the most peaceful place. But yeah, I spent an awful lot of time just trying to, to – that was one place I could find a little, little peace between the lines and uh, you know, my little world would be okay for a little while.
0: And now, what happened when you made the decision, or the decision was made for you in some ways by Coach Glenn Bassett, who was a legendary coach at UCLA for many, many years? I played against him when I was at Stanford, and Dick Gould, who also has a similar career and pedigree as a coach. You know, when you made that decision to go to UCLA, did things change? I mean, how did how, what what did that what did that feel like when you stepped onto the campus at UCLA for the first time?
1: Yeah, it was it was complicated because I ended up getting thrown off of the junior Davis Cup team, you know, for for right. for possession, and then of course I the next day as soon as I got home I had to find you know talk to coach and and, and uh, explain to him that you know it was just a you know a little bit of bad luck and stuff, but uh, no, and I got up there you know the first uh, I mean honestly the first semester I was away from school I think I got a F, a no pass and an incomplete <laughs> in college and I was just <laughs> not so a good start right not a good start no. no no especially when i came in you know i wasn't a dumb kid in high school so that uh, that was a red flag and uh, right. so i got to know my counselors pretty well pretty quickly um you know he coach was interesting back then they it was a different time you know they didn't really know what to do with kids like me you know and even even the junior davis cup and the usda back then they just didn't know what to do with kind of talented troubled teams you mm-hmm. know they just uh, they had a one way of doing it and you know, I remember talking to my Davis Cup coach who was later on, after years later, after he, you know, taking me to the airport, and he goes, you know, I knew I was sending you back to the exact environment you were trying to escape from. And I just didn't, I couldn't convince the powers that be that that was a good thing. You know, that I, we wanted to try to protect you, but I just couldn't. They just, they had enough of you. And it was right. pretty much a similar thing at UCLA when I got there with Coach. You know, it was West LA in the 80s. He knew that kids our age were doing certain things and mm-hmm. stuff. But as long as I produced on the court for him, Mm. You know, he was. You know, he would look the other way, and you know, I got off to a great start there. So he was able to. He kind of knew what I was doing, but as long you know, as long as I was winning, he wasn't going to you know make too much of a stink about it. So.
0: And 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 how how long was your career at you? I mean, you stayed all four years. No,
1: no, no! It was quick. So I, you know, I came in as a freshman. We we had a super right. loaded team. I mean, Jim Pugh played nine for us. And, oh my and goodness! I got he was week. one of the great yeah. doubles
0: players of in in his time. Yeah, yeah. Him and, and Rick he, Leach.
1: And he, and he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't break into the top wow. three doubles teams our first year. So I got the nod to play. I won my first twenty-two matches as a freshman, and before I knew it, I was playing number one
0: singles. Which and, was like the know, longest I winning streak I think since Jimmy Connors at UCLA. It. Yeah, I think you I tied, tied it, Jimmy right? Connors, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you know, here I, this was happening so fast, right? Basically, all happening within one year. Where uh-huh. you know, I got from the kind of you know, kind of damaged goods kids that nobody wanted, and all of a sudden I'm playing number one at UCLA and breaking records, and all this stuff was happening. And I was just, I was just so unprepared for that level of success, and, and eventually when the bottom fell out, it really crashed, and I burned out badly. And you know, it was an interesting time because I'd never had a coach. I mean, I'm self-taught, and uh, I'd never had really anybody telling me what to do, and there. I was kind of taking this kind of perverse pride in the sense that I had done it all on my own. and I, mm. I was uncoachable. I didn't want to listen to anybody and, um, you know, and it's one of the great regrets I have to have been in a position like that to, you know, really, you know, for a great launching pad for success and so many other players took advantage of that situation. I just wasn't able to do that, you know.
0: And so where did it go from there?
1: Well, it went from there that, uh, so we came back my, my sophomore year, I came back and uh, I wasn't able to make it to practice, so I had basically quit and told coach that you know I wasn't able to, to do it. And he knew why. I was having drug problems at that time. Right. And, uh, you know, basically within a year of uh, playing number one for UCLA, I was living in my van and I dropped out of school, and uh, you know things were going downhill pretty quickly. And uh, so it was. A, so you're a living. A you're you're,
0: you're living in the in your van, uh, just in the streets in my, of L.A.
1: I was living Basically. in my van on the streets yep. of LA. Yeah. It was wow. Pretty crazy. So, so it happened fast. And, uh, you know, before I knew it, uh, you know, I was a lot of drugs. And, you know, I had some mental illness at the time I didn't mm-hmm. know about and uh, that was driving a lot of the action. And, uh, you know, and, you know, there were fits and spasms there. I was trying to get healthy and try to play a little bit and try to go back to school and, and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, I was 19 years old, just completely on my own. And, uh, you know, I'd split with my parents, I hadn't talked to them in a while. And, um, you know, it was just, uh, it was a very strange time, you know, to, to be trying to, you know, get, get your act together back then.
0: So what, what made what prompted you to write your memoir, which came out about what it was about 10 years ago or about eight, how long ago? Yeah. I think
1: 2012, it, right. it, it was a couple things, a couple things motivated me to do it. <clears throat> I, I, you know, the one thing I really was touched by, I had read Agassiz's book Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, which, which, by the way, he and, got a lot of help writing uh, with a great writer, uh, and you wrote that. He, gra- he, had, he had a, gra- and he had a great. And you actually wrote it, and you are one hell of a writer. Okay, let me tell you that right now. Thank, yeah. thank you very much.
1: No, and I, and I wrote that thing in one month, so that's wow. why I'm really enjoying take, uh, the time here. But a lot of it had to do with, you know, you kind of partially what you were, were going through at that time, too. There was an obsession on how to create great players. You know, mm-hmm. America was having a little bit of a lull on in producing great men. Right, and which uh, we're still which we're still the, having, right? Which we're still having. And, you know, I mean, there, compared there, to the days of
0: Mac of McEnroe, Connors, you know, Agassiz, Sampras, Courier, you know, we're right. right. We
1: just never got we never got that next wave, and then unfortunately, then you get the Federer, Nadal, David right. Murray, you know, Juggernaut. So all yeah. that stuff aside, so there was so much bandwidth being spent out there on how how to what are the conditions by which greatness can be created? Mm-hmm. You know, we had this tremendous, you know, these player developments, we had these budgets, we had all these ideas. But I think I was kept thinking, you know, what's missing in this equation is no one's talking to the kids. No one's mm. talking to the players about mm-hmm. what the players think about all this. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I started thinking, you know, I've got an u- interesting story here about what this was like. You know, when you're growing up, you know, and I cheated and I and I had tantrums and I and I tanked and I <laughs> choked. Right, and you I did drugs you know, I and I you
0: drank. Things. Right. I did
1: drugs, I had yeah. I had no support, I never had a coach, I had a weird parent relationship, but I still did okay. You, you still know?
0: ended up so, playing number so, one at UCLA as a freshman. And I still and,
1: Exactly. So, so what are you know? So, is it correlation or causation? What is the situation by which great players can be developed? And mm-hmm. if you kind of throw, you know, I always believe strongly, if you just throw enough kids together in a in a competitive environment, and you know, and and just let them let them just grind against each other, you're going to create some diamonds. There's just a lot of friction and a lot of competition and mm-hmm. stuff. And I was able to do that myself. So I just wanted to share that experience with people because they mm-hmm. were all everything was just top down. It was coaches talking and parents talking and administrators talking and no one was asking the kids. Well, no, and uh, know, we're, we're, no
0: one's asking the kids and no one, no one they weren't doing enough doing.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, so that was part of the motivation was, you know, and the other thing with the Agassiz book too, you know, you can really appreciate kind of the celebrity biographies and stuff and, and you know, just how great these people were as athletes and, you know, and, and philanthropists and so forth. But there's a lot more people out there like myself who mm-hmm. had a little game and had a yep. story but for whatever reason, you know, and, not, and it just transcends tennis, um, they didn't quite get there. And they had maybe had a little taste and, you know, and they kind of could have been a contender kind of people. Right. And, uh, and I seem to tell I, what was interesting about how when it came out, it really, I told a lot of people's story, you know, and it mm-hmm. really touched a lot of people from our generation that, uh, you know, who had tough relationships with their dads, that our parents were from a very different generation and, and post-depression and they didn't get these right. opportunities that we got so so that was the beginning of it and i got so much support from the tennis community and you know just when i was able to kind of tell my you know be very brutally honest about what i was going through back Mm. then and um you know it's kind of launched a little tennis journalism career on the side and uh had some fun with it
0: well it's it's uh i mean obviously I'm, i'm interested in your take and you have you and i have discussed this uh many times about what it is to create great players and we we've gone back and forth on that and that's uh that's interesting to me, but what to, what what's inspiring to me about you is you p- writing about your personal experiences, you know, and and what you went through and going through the things you went through with your with your dad and your family and 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 as you say, there are so many people uh particularly now as I've kind of taken on the role of you know, working in an academy, having my daughter play, you know, reasonably good junior tennis and sort of starting to see it from that side, as opposed to being, you know, Patrick McEnroe, you know, the brother of John and, you know, a successful pro and now a famous commentator or whatever, but to actually be uh, sort of on the ground and to see and then, and then to read your story. And then it always takes me back, Barry, to my experiences and all the guys I played against you know, right. that were that were really good junior players or, you know, I had pl- plenty of guys in college that I couldn't beat at all. And right. and why right. did I make it in the pros and they didn't make it? You know, and, right. and right. what were their experiences? So you, you know, put it all out there. And uh, I give you so much credit for doing that and also still – you know, we're, we're, we all have our pluses and minuses about, you know, tennis, the, the sport, and, you know, why we do this and how we end up, you know, teaching tennis. And then we realized, you know, we kind of like it. We kind of like the I game, love. you know, love the game. I and, love yeah,
1: I, I still love it. I, I still love to get out there and hear it, and I get the same vibe from it. You know, it's interesting that, um, that uh, you know, once you're – I mean, it's a tricky thing. You're out there. You've been doing this your whole life, and, and there's so many people that – you know, I could have got away from it at times. You know, and if we got in. You know, I did get, try to get into writing, but I wrote about tennis, so it, it just pulled me even further back in. But right. you, what, with just as it relates to my experience, you know, I didn't go through all this to, to keep it to myself. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, even if it helps one person, you know, I know it's a cliche, but if it helps one person, then it's worth. You know, I'm, I, I don't. I own my life now in every which way, and I don't really care about being judged by others. By the you know the tough parts of my experience, but um, but you know back to what you were saying a second ago, you know it's so fascinating when you're you're trying to prepare yourself for for you know to become the best you can be, you know, and, and you you deal with these young people now, parent their parents may come to you and say that you know well Johnny, you know he wants to be a pro, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and on some levels it, it, that sounds so delusional, you know, because right. so few get the a chance, but at the same token, what if you happen to have an experience like myself where I wasn't really going anywhere, and then all of a sudden you know boom it hits you you know and all of a sudden you're right there on the cusp of it and you're mm-hmm. totally unprepared for it mm. so even though it may be delusional to to talk about it it's incredibly irresponsible not to prepare for it right because when it actually happened for me, i was so not ready for success i mean success was like the weirdest thing i ever experienced because i wasn't i was so used to just being kind of above average and all of a sudden you know, <laughs> you know you're you're getting written about you're being talked about and you know i was i could not have been more uncomfortable in my skin when i when i actually started being successful because I wasn't, I hadn't prepared myself for it, you know. And it's, um, you know, and these are just, you know, as you were just saying, the guys who were nails in college, they just weren't ready to make that next step, you know. And uh,
0: and you're not really so, sure, yeah. and you're not really sure why, because sometimes I, 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 you know, I'll, I'll watch some kids and I'll say, ah, they don't like, right. you know, the speed isn't there, just the, the timing right. isn't there, so you know, the genetics aren't there to, to make it right. to the top, top or, um right? But then, you know, there's that X factor and you can you, you know you, you never know i guess is the point i mean you you certain if you can get to a certain level then there's a possibility you can get maybe a little bit higher can you be number 1 in the world you know probably not But could barry buss have been number 1 in the world probably not, not. could patrick McEnroe have been number 1 no but could patrick macenno have been maybe instead of 28 maybe 15 maybe right. could barry bus right. maybe have been a top 100 player or top 75 player you know possibly so that's why i right. think it this these these stories are so interesting yeah
1: no no thank you and it's, i think it's you know you part of my story was the fascinating thing about it. I mean, if you were to try to produce a great player, I think my family, we, we did everything wrong. <laughs> and you, know, <laughs> right, you can almost right. think of it. This is a cautionary tale, you know, just so you can see the, see the, the, you know, if tennis was just this big list of do's and don'ts, it'd be really simple. It's like, what if you're, if you can't do the do's and you're doing all the don'ts, then how do you troubleshoot all that and, and, and keep everyone on the path to being successful? yeah, yeah, the challenge to this, regardless of the out of the results, is just trying to become, you know, be the best that you could be. You right. know? And that's something that's always eaten at me a little bit, but mm-hmm. I continue to come back to tennis as an adult and, uh, it still has something to teach me. There's still some magic on the court for me. And, you know, I almost treat it like therapy in a way when I go mm. out there, am I taking care of myself? You know, am I right. physically mentally, emotionally, you know, spiritually fit, you know, mm-hmm. and I still enjoy this, you know, and that's, that's always a good marker for me because, you know, we can get busy in our lives and, and, not really be in touch with all those 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 feelings and stuff and you know and there's gonna be a day when i can't do it anymore you know and and i'll really miss that and uh you know it's something i still just get great enjoyment out of doing and you know i'm just still very blessed that i was you know had a father you know warts and all that that introduced me to this great game and you know here here we still are well
0: you'll be you'll be happy to hear that today barrett art tennis academy here in new york where i'm at that i was out um giving a lesson to a to a, 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 an adult younger than us nice player and then all the young the kids came out for their session and it was all our best girls that were you know they're uh, 13 to 15 and so i had them all come and play me a Super tiebreak because that's you know become the thing now in junior tennis, right? The tiebreak to ten, or even Wimbledon has it now, and Australian Open, right? Uh, or I should say Australian Open has it, and uh, I said, okay, all the girls, you all come over one at a time and play me one super tiebreak to ten, and I can't hit a two-handed backhand, <laughs> and and uh, they still couldn't beat me. Okay, so I, we we still got a little bit, and I know you're giving back and doing your thing. You've made, you made the move what about two years ago to Nashville, That's
1: and right. um,
0: yeah. how's that been? And I know you're working with a lot of kids there, and what's what's that been like making the move from Southern Cal there?
1: It's been awesome. What it's such a such a good town. You know, as you mentioned before, I was in the Hamptons and I was doing Los Angeles to the Hamptons back and forth for a right. few years, and I got. A 50. A lot of traveling, but I just, uh, an opportunity came here with uh, a guy named Jim Madrigal, who was, uh, Tennis Sangren and Brian Baker's coach. Right. To, uh, start an academy here a couple years ago. And we had a good couple of summers with it. The club has struggled to get built, so we're a little bit on hiatus right now. But no, it's, it's lovely here. The tennis, this is a great community. Um, it's just, just the right mix of, you know, it's got the sophistication of a big city, but it's also got the suburbia that I grew up with. And, you know, I just feel like a part of my, uh, Part of my vibe, basically, I like to have a little bit of space. And but it's it's just awesome here. The kids are great. The tennis is vibrant here. I've got one very good girl who's um, ninth in the country, I think, in the in the fourteens now. So wow. she's having a good time. That's great. Yeah, so it's fu- that's fun. So we're getting to do that whole experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, tennis is hopping here, and love the music, love the food. I met a great gal down here, and uh, yeah, a couple
0: uh, dogs I see on your Instagram couple, as well. Got a couple, yeah, love couple it.
1: Dogs. <laughs> well, got a couple pugs who follow me around everywhere. And, Life is good, man. I, could, I just couldn't be more grateful for, you know, all the, all the blessings there.
0: Well, I love it, and uh, I'm sure you will give the uh, parents of the kids you play with um, lots of words of wisdom from your own experiences, and uh, you've got a unique perspective, so you pass that on to this generation, okay?
1: I will, man. I appreciate
0: it. All right, Barry. The one and only Barry Buss. Look for his uh, revised version of A First in a Field of Two, a junior tennis memoir I'll look for that coming out in the near future back.
1: Thank you, buddy. You
0: got it, man. Holding court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse media.